0: So, just so you guys know, obviously we're excited about uh, what's going to be happening in June as we go to our new location, <clears throat> but, here last week? Don't know. oh, if you weren't here last week, how many of you weren't here last week and don't know about the new location? We, See? Here. <laughs> we have a new location that we're moving to in June, 17th and Lockwood Ridge. We're very excited about it. Um, but before we get into the sermon, I just want to make sure you guys know the worship was great today. Do you know that this team starts here at 6.30 every Sunday morning. All this stuff you see, none of it is here. There's just this stage right here and this little piece. They add on the extensions. They put all the music instruments and the equipment up and all the wires and cords. They're run every Sunday. All that work is done starting at really early in the morning. People bringing stuff down through an elevator from the 1900 building, this drum set, everything like that. All this stuff has to be moved every week. And so, obviously, they're excited about not having to do it every week when we get to the new building. But Mike Bassett, Steve Lenz, and then Mark Choate and his boys get here very early to make sure everything's set up so you can come in and enjoy worship. So make sure you uh, tell them thank you and then give them $50 as a tip. They're wonderful servants. And then the video team gets here about eight, and they do a great job, too. Uh, Donnie and ren they do a great job. We're continuing with our series on 2 Peter, and we're going to launch into a series of three, maybe four messages that are, in reality, a great precursor to our next sermon series, which will be Revelation. And I'd like to say that I thought of this ahead of time, that preaching 2 Peter chapter 3 into Revelation was my idea the whole time. It wasn't, but it's working out that way. I've entitled this message, The Return of Jesus, Part 1. So what is your first reaction, your first gut, visceral reaction when you hear the phrase, the last days, or you hear the concept of the return of Jesus? I mean, there's the churchy answer, right? Oh, man, that's a great day. I can't wait for it. But if we're honest, all of us have a little bit of anxiety about those two phrases, the last days, the return of Jesus, it can sound a little bit intimidating, a little ominous. When you hear the term last days or return of Jesus, do you think of biblical prophecies? Signs maybe in the modern day world that point to the possibility that the end is just around the corner. Maybe the topic is just a little bit intimidating theologically. Maybe it makes you anxious. It should be comforting mostly, but sometimes it's not. You know, since the first century, one of the critical non-negotiable Christian theology concepts was that Jesus taught us that he would return. Apostles and early church fathers were all in agreement that we are in the last days and the return of Jesus was imminent. Does that make them wrong since it hasn't happened yet? No, we'll get into that later. But early on, it was held as one of the most precious, comforting, apostolic teachings. And it was also, frankly, the most attacked. It's not surprising the enemy would target it. I mean, it is going to be his worst day, after all. (laughs) His worst moment when all evil is wiped out. And what we've seen is we've seen a whole range of false teaching around this idea of the last days and the return of Jesus. We've seen a lot of failed predictions in Christianity, have we not? The most famous one is of Jehovah's Witnesses who claim to be Christians but claim Jesus was going to come back a bunch of times. They were wrong. They, I think they stopped predicting it a few times ago. We have some people in Christianity <clears throat> that preach that it's already happened. Oh, Jesus already came back. We have some in Christianity that just outright reject the idea, oh, he's not coming back. Then we have people who add stuff to the return of Jesus. Popular theological concepts that really nobody taught until about the 1840s. We'll get into those in a few weeks. The idea of the return of Jesus and the last days is a concept that for centuries by false teachers has been used for manipulation, fear-mongering, and financial gain, that is exactly what the false teachers were doing in 2 Peter. Fast forward to today, it is still one of the most mistaught, misunderstood, neglected teachings in the church. We will study it very closely in the next few weeks as we close 2 Peter, a great lead in to our series on Revelation that will begin, but let's look at the passage for today. <clears throat> Chapter 3, verse 1. This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both, I am stirring you up, sincere, up your sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember. He says, sincere mind by the way of reminder that you should remember. I think he wants us to remember something. (laughs) The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Notice two groups of people, the holy prophets and the apostles. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever, since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That's the passage. Let's look at the historical part of this this week. I want to call this the battleground. So there is a root problem. You understand we've talked about how these false teachers had a pretty gross life of immorality. But immorality was at the core of their false teaching. It was in fact the fruit of it, the result of their false teaching. And so to rationalize their lifestyle that Peter called out in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, they intellectualize and philosophize and they come up with something to relieve the potential of their spiritual accountability for their immorality. They claimed that the promise of the return of Jesus was just a myth. It was fabricated by the apostles. Jesus never really said that. As a result, there's no need to worry about spiritual accountability or living a righteous life or preparing for eternity. Just do whatever you want. This wasn't a result of ignorance, by the way. They had heard apostolic teaching. Anyone loosely or tightly connected with the first century church would have heard it. They've heard them teach on his return. They also knew all the Old Testament references to the return of Jesus. They know what the scripture teaches, what the apostles and, frankly, thousands of witnesses heard Jesus say when he was alive. They just dismiss it. They declared the Old Testament and the apostles unreliable. They had it all wrong. And now God has revealed to us the real truth about the return of Jesus. There isn't one. But they didn't go so far as to just dismiss it. They openly, relentlessly mocked anyone who embraced the Old Testament prophets and the apostles when it came to the teaching about the last days and the return of Jesus. They used sarcasm. They used mockery and scoffing, belittling anyone who believed in the day of the Lord. But the early church, just as today, anticipated the return of Jesus, possibly even in their lifetime. They didn't know And this anticipation of the return of Jesus, this anticipation of the last days is one of the key ingredients necessary for us to live a life that is inspired and motivated towards transformation and kingdom service. Embracing the Old Testament and apostolic teaching informed and inspired the first century church's commitment to the kingdom and the royal priesthood that we have learned about in 1 Peter with proclamation, integrity, and industry. You can see, right, how being mocked by false teachers would be very discouraging and disheartening and problematic for these first century Christians. So now I'm gonna give you a kind of a fancy word. I'm gonna tell you what uniformitarianism is. Their rationale of rejecting the Lord's return followed a philosophy that is still popular today, and it's not even necessary a Christian philosophy. It's the philosophy of uniformitarianism, the idea that nothing ever changes. Everything always continues naturally, just as it has from the beginning. There's never any big special event, especially spiritually. Since the early fathers, this is what they said, since the early fathers, there has never been a day of the Lord. God has never judged anyone, and he never will. Jesus isn't returning. There will be no supernatural judgment Or accountability, God is only love with no plans to judge. You can see why their immoral, sensual lifestyle, where it came from. I mean, if they don't believe in the return of Jesus, what's the point? And then for good reason. They don't want to think about their lifestyle. It would get in the way of what they really want to do. I will tell you this, there is no way a child of God could ever, if you really have been given the gift of faith, there's no way a child of God could ever want to live like that with no fulfillment of your hope, with no fulfillment of your faith. I mean, what's the point? But luckily for the first century church, Peter is the return expert. I would say, well, let me just read this verse to you that Jesus prophesied to Peter. In John 21, you're going to love this. When you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. This is an image, a prophecy. Mike, i got a little bit of a ring there. You can fix that. There's an image, a prophecy of Peter being crucified. Now, I'll get into that in just a minute, but I wanted you to read that and put it up on the screen so you could just kind of start thinking about it. There was no person with more credibility about the return of Jesus other than Jesus himself, which is Peter. Peter was taught by Jesus every day for three years. He was at the Transfiguration. Remember, we learned about that in 1 Peter in our study of the Gospel of Mark. He witnessed the resurrection. He was there for Pentecost. And after Pentecost, did you know, get this, Peter was actually the very first human ever to preach about the last days and the return of Jesus. He preached in Acts chapter 2 on the southern steps of the temple. Jews from all over the world were coming for that year, for that high feast. They came to the temple to worship Jehovah. He preached from Joel chapter 2, a prophet, He preached from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And I will tell you, this is my opinion. I've heard a lot of great preachers. This was the greatest sermon by a human in church history. Peter, Acts chapter 2. Thousands, the scripture says, trusted Jesus that day. In Jerusalem, ready to walk into the temple to worship. Peter's preaching from the Old Testament about the return of Jesus and thousands come to faith. I think it's the greatest sermon, human sermon, obviously the greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. So Peter comes in second, you know, (laughs) to that. But Peter also knew that Jesus, get this now, look at the verse, he knew Jesus wouldn't return during Peter's lifetime. I mean, in John 21, Jesus told Peter, listen, you're going to be crucified. There's no way Peter would be crucified if Jesus had come back. See, that's why Peter says, I am writing this second letter to you, to remind you to remember all the things that I taught you and later on we'll see in chapter 3 also the things that Paul taught you and he even says later on in chapter 3 some of what Paul teaches is really hard to understand (laughs) we get that don't we have you read Romans hello but Peter is an expert so that's the history let's look at the spiritual side of this what about God what does he do and why and how does he do it I want to talk about the last days. Let me give you a verse, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Just read this. Long ago at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. The phrase the last days only occurs seven times in the Bible. And there are many interpretations of what the last days means. It can sound ominous, it can sound intimidating, especially get this now and don't be offended, especially to those among Christianity who are obsessed with biblical prophecy. Many Christians have unhealthy obsession. They're searching for clues in numerology in the scripture. Looking for political signs in the modern day headlines that match images of these beasts with heads in Revelation and and Daniel, they're trying to line it up. Was it Trump? Was it Biden? Was it Obama? Who's the Antichrist? None of them are. Can I just tell you that right now? Stop. Stop. But really, who wouldn't want to know about the last days? When do they start? How do they end? How do we know we're in them? Wouldn't it be great to know? Let me tell you something. The last days aren't a prediction of a moment in time just before some sort of rapture or some sort of rise of beasts with ten heads and ugly toenails. (laughs) The last days aren't about apocalyptic predictions around world governments and who's fighting with who. It's not about elected leaders. It's not about wars in the Middle East. Stop. Stop. This verse in Hebrews very clearly, denotatively defines the last days. And what is it? It's the time of Jesus through church history to today and until he returns. That is the last days. You can argue if you want, but you're arguing with Hebrews. What are the last days? When Jesus started talking. And will be until he returns. We are in the last days, yes. That's not a scary thing. That's just a fact. Today is also Sunday. That is the definition, biblically, of the last days. It's important to establish that. The resurrection of Jesus was a marker, the beginning of the new creation. It was sort of like a pin you drop on a Google map. Boom. Starting the last days, and they continue Until he returns. And we are living in the last days. This doesn't mean that Jesus will return in our lifetime. It doesn't mean he can't either, by the way. We don't know. Matter of fact, Jesus said, anyone who says they know, eh, no one knows. This is why this is such a great precursor to our next series in Revelation. And we will unpack this more, but you're going to have to be patient. The other thing I want you to see about the spiritual side of this are the reliable sources. Peter also clarifies, and this is also in Hebrews, you'll see there's two groups here, right? There's the prophets and then Jesus, and then Peter adds that the apostles are part of that. He clarifies where reliable information about the last days and Jesus' return come from, and it ain't these guys. The false teachers use this uniformitarianism to dismiss the prophets. They say the early church fathers in the Old Testament were wrong. They also attacked the apostles. The, the apostles, they misunderstood the prophets and Jesus. Look, they've been wrong for 35 years. Remember, they said that Jesus said Jerusalem would fall. It hasn't fallen yet. Well, guess what would happen in about two years? You guys remember? 70 AD, what happens to Jerusalem? It falls. The temple is destroyed. But at this point, they're saying, he predicted that Jerusalem would fall. It hasn't fallen. They predicted he would return. He hasn't returned. And what Peter does is he brilliantly uses their own words against them to demonstrate the reliable authority of the prophets and the apostles. The reliable source for what God said are the prophets that he spoke through who have been proven right time and again. And the reliable source for what Jesus said about his return are those who Jesus taught every day, not these false teachers. And here it is. You ready? Here's the glaring proof, these memorable predictions. I love this. Remember now, for those of you that weren't aware of how these were read, I I talked about this a few weeks ago. These letters are not read in private on a phone app or in a book. First of all, they didn't have books. They had scrolls. These are read in public. They receive the letter, everyone in the local church gathers together, and the elders read it, and everybody's reading it together. They're hearing it, and when they see a link to an Old Testament passage or another letter from the apostle, they would stop and read that portion of Scripture. So if he mentions Noah, they would go back and read Noah. If he mentions Sodom and Gomorrah, they would go back and read Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is being read out loud in community. And it gets quite embarrassing, once again, for the false teachers. Peter says, the prophets and your apostles, by the way, he says, the predictions made by the prophets and your apostles, that is an endearing term. He's saying, we are your apostles. We are serving you. It's, it's kind of like a, a loving, pastoral, endearing type of term. He says, the, the prophets and your apostles predicted that these very false teachers would come. Prophets and apostles predicted in the last days, when Jesus came and after, false teachers would reject what is the truth. Not only that, they predicted what they would say about the return. They predicted their lifestyle, how they would live. And they predicted not only that, that they would scoff at the return of Jesus. And this is just beautiful. Let me just tell you something. I don't have time today because, you know, some of you want to get to lunch before 1 o'clock. But listen, if I had time today, I would start walking you through dozens of examples in both the Old Testament and the New about this prophecy of these particular false teachers And you would be, wow, how did I ever even doubt Jesus is real? It is just as stunning, for those of you that were here during our Mark series, it is just as stunning as the prophecies of 70 AD. Remember those? I mean, you can say whatever you want, but the bottom line is Jesus said this is going to happen. And when it does happen, don't run to Jerusalem because it's going to be destroyed. Run away. Run to the hills. And this prophecy is just as stunning. I wish I could walk you through all the passages of it. I'm not going to do it today. You can do it on your own. You can go and look. Their presence, these false teachers, their very presence, what they are teaching and how they live their life are proof of the reliability of the sources they are trying to reject. It's pretty amazing. And when we get into the next part of this chapter, you're going to love it. All right. The personal session. What about us? What are we supposed to do, and why and how do we do it? Well, we're still here waiting. This was the sermon preview this week on social media. If you don't believe Jesus will return, your version of the gospel is hopeless. Think about that for a moment. What is the point? See, today people will still look at us as Christians, kind of shake their heads in pity, about what we believe, about the resurrection of Jesus, but also his return. I mean, it has been 2,000 years. (laughs) He hasn't come back yet. Everything is as it was. There is no return to fear. Uniformitarianism. You know what it was like? And Peter makes this reference in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and he's going to make it here again next week as we go through it. It's just like Noah's neighbors when he was building the ark, preparing for something that had never happened before, rain. It's never going to rain. It never has before, and it never will. That's what Jesus said it would be like. He said in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be the coming of the Son of Man. We will go into greater detail with that next week. You're going to love it. Don't miss it. All right, let's look at this verse from Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 22. I'm going to read this for you, and that'll kind of stay up on the screen as we go through this next personal section. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, the false teachers, are without excuse... For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. All right. Why did I put that verse up there? I'm going to leave it there so you can just kind of think and let this think in. It really takes a lot of work, humanly speaking, to look at the world Physically, the creation, it's moaning, the storms, the pain. It really takes a lot of work to look at society. It really takes a lot of work to look at a world just full of depravity, like what's happening between Russia and Ukraine, and deny humanity's desperate need, not only for spiritual accountability, the return of Jesus, but its desperate need for redemption and transformation. I mean, for you to look at what's going on around the world and somehow believe that everything is always just going to get better, man just needs to evolve. Man's been evolving for a long time, and he still kills himself and each other. There's still disease and famine and sickness and war and immorality. That part, the uniformitarianists have right. It's a response to what you see around us that has to be rationalized in your own mind. And you have to make excuses to believe it. On the one hand, uniformitarianism says everything will continue. But on the other hand, those same people say that society can progress. Yet human history reveals this thing. Man's natural progress is toward immorality, selfishness, war, racism, and bigotry. But see, that is not actually where the most critical attack comes about the return of Jesus. Sadly, the most critical attack comes from within the church. That's why Peter was so motivated to write this letter. Modern Christianity today is littered with churches and teachers who preach there's no hell, no judgment, no return of Jesus. There are many in our own city. Any philosophy or theology that denies the return of Jesus is an attempt to deny spiritual accountability. In addition, dismissing or some just all out ignoring the return of Jesus renders any hope for transformation pointless and foolish. Rejecting the return of Jesus isn't a result of enlightenment's or intelligence it's a product of the human instinct to love this life more than a possible next one that's all it is it's a lifestyle in love with earthly things more than kingdom things more than jesus just like these false teachers denial of spiritual accountability is in fact the natural position of the human heart we all do it each time we sin don't we why would anyone with no awareness or belief in the return of Jesus have any capacity, desire, or capability of transformation? Let's look at this verse. And this is the last slide for the day. I'm just going to leave it up. 1 Thessalonians four sixteen through 18. For the Lord himself, by the way, this is a very great passage it is also mistaught for the lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of the archangel the sound of the trumpet of god the dead in christ will rise first then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so we will always be with the lord therefore encourage one another with these words without getting into all of it it's not the rapture it's the return of jesus Don't get me started on the rapture. (laughs) For those who follow Jesus and trust his teachings, this day isn't something we should deny or ignore by our lifestyle. Peter said it's true faith that creates what? Remember we went over this? Virtue, knowledge, self-control stability reverence brotherly affection and love for your fellow man and when people have the gift of faith and all those things begin to take place part of it is because we believe in the return of jesus so it's not a day to be anxious or nervous about in any way it is the opposite of that it is beautiful and it is glorious Those who really have the gift of faith, who have those things, virtue, knowledge, self-control, stability, reverence, brotherly affection, and love, we should have no interest or motive in ignoring the day of the Lord or neglecting it in our everyday life choices. We are inspired, in fact, by faith to embrace it, to look forward to it. It is a beautiful, glorious day, a future moment or state of existence That we can anticipate, that we can aspire to. It's not a cause for anxiety or intimidation. I mean, this is the reason we place our faith and trust in the gospel of Jesus to be ready for that day. It is the climax of our hope. The return of Jesus will vindicate our faith, it will destroy evil. He will establish his eternal kingdom. He will be setting all things right. It is the rolling up, the culmination of all our joy, which if you've been a part of Grace Life for any time, you know what the definition of joy is. It's not smiles and happy. Here's the definition, the biblical definition of joy. It is the supernatural satisfaction with the presence of God over anything else. That's joy. You can be sad and grieving and angry and still have joy. The return of Jesus is the pinnacle as children of God of our existence. Think of it for just a moment. That day, that moment we see our Jesus face to face. Imagine with me right now exactly how you might feel. What you'll be thinking when that day finally comes when that day happens, when all fear, and if there was any doubt, it's all wiped away. Without that glorious moment, there is really zero reason to endure any burdens that might come with following Jesus. So in that point, the false teachers had it right. What's the point of living righteous? What's the point of standing up for the downtrodden and the abused and the neglected? What's the point of serving others? What's the point of loving your feather man? What's the point of being generous? What's the point of being people who have claimed the gospel, who live with integrity and work with great industry? What's the point? What's the point of the food pantry? What's the point of Day for Hope? What's the point of pulling people out of addiction and human trafficking? What is the point unless you believe in Jesus and his return? If you don't believe in the return of Jesus as a central part of our hope, there is no reason to waste your time any longer with the gospel. Can I just say it that way? Stop wasting your time. Now, I hope we will, over the next two, three, four, ten weeks, no, it's not going to be that long, just a, next few weeks, I hope we will do as Paul says in this verse in Thessalonians, that we can encourage one another with these words about the return of Jesus. And as we finish up chapter 3 and roll into Revelation chapter 1, you're going to realize, man, the book of Revelation is not intimidating. It is a great addendum it is a great sequel to what peter's talking about in chapter 3 and i believe once we have that understanding of these books together first and second peter and the book of revelation it's going to transform how you walk with your jesus every day at least that's my hope as your pastor and your friend heavenly father we have many days we look forward to in our life We look forward to vacations. We look forward to sporting events. We look forward to weddings. We look forward to pizza. (laughs) But Lord, all of those are just sort of like little shadows, little sample tastings of what the day of the Lord will be like for your children. heavenly data as we go through chapter three these next few weeks i pray for those who maybe have been burdened with bad concepts of the, your return and the last days that, that that would all be done away with and it would be transformed to something that we can comfort one another with these words that it won't seem like this ominous concept that's too hard to understand, too far away, too many details. Lord, it's really simple. You're coming to make things right and to vindicate our faith in you. Man, we can't wait for that. But until then, we will comfort one another with these words. We ask for your help to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, we love you. I'm excited about the next few weeks. Have a great week, and remember, He is going to come.